There's like there's another episode of Hammer and Bolter where like uh, the Death Guard corrupt an astropathic choir, so they spread a plague between choirs, and it travels through space. And it's like, what? How does that work? But it's like because okay. it, is the, it is the human connection with it, because it's yeah. it is entirely it is like a phone signal, but it's actually literally human string if you know what i mean which sounds really creepy yeah. but obviously it's a grim dark future but um yeah it's kind of it it's, it's just weird in in the angels of death one because again they've got like this whole room of gene stealers and there's the patriarch and then the tower's there and obviously the astropaths are still human but they're being kind of enslaved on this tower and they're not very happy when they send the signal out being like come and destroy the world tyranids they're like having a good old shriek mm. and you're like yeah that doesn't look fun Love me, star children. Whatever it is, it's 40k, <laughs> so it's probably horrendous and doesn't need to be as horrendous as yeah. it is. Someone most likely suffered just oh, yeah. even just even like yeah. making a, a nail or a screw. Well, well, that was the word from the apparent sponsor of this video, the Adeptus Astropathica. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Upgrade your cell phone to new Astropath SIM cards. Neither <laughs> 5G towers alone. <laughs> Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Law Crimes. Uh, it's it's time for another beginner to expert podcast, isn't it? It's going to be an interesting one today uh, because we've we've covered a lot of uh, Space Marine stuff recently, and you know delved into a little bit of Loyalist, a little bit of Chaos. So it's we've done a little bit of Xenos. Uh, we did the the Necrons a little while back, but today we've got something a bit different in store, a little bit more specific as well, because today. We're going to be covering the first tyrannic war. Ooh. Hope you're hungry, um, boys. Nom nom nom. Because I, I think with like tyrannids in particular, it's like where how do you organize talking about them? Because there's like no like personal characters with like other than I like eating things. So you have to kind of find where they fit into the law around events. So I think this is a pretty good place to start. But before we get into that, it's time for the question of the week. Alright, our question of the week was, what makes you rage about Warhammer? Hashtag Black Rage. And the first comment I have here is, Epic, cool, awesome, goblin guy, re6520, awesome Big name. fan of the name. Did <laughs> <laughs> uh, Total War Warhammer turning my boy Throg from a smart man, in brackets troll, to the average Manchester City football fan? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't man. watch football, but... I like making fun of Europeans. Uh, <laughs> I walked I walked around the soccer museum when I was there, and uh, I can assure you that uh, from the amount of riots I saw in the historical like, <laughs> of the of the fields, like yeah, it sounds about right. This, this was during Warhammer Fest, and it, well, you said like something along the lines of when we're, you were in Manchester Airport, you're like, I've never been in an airport like this before. <laughs> yeah, it was so depressing. Everything was gunmetal gray. Yeah. It's like when you build a Minecraft home entirely out of iron blocks and cobblestone. <laughs> Necron yeah. base coat, baby. Definitely Manchester <laughs> United, not City. Did you enjoy the accents while you were there? You're like, all right there, sir. How are you? Putting my my bricks up, my 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 grey blocks in the airport. You know, what the hell is that noise? I heard it's dangerous in Detroit. 
I didn't enjoy the accents. Sounds like Nova Scotians. There was one gentleman <laughs> next to me on the phone when I was checking the hotel that uh, I he was he was speaking Lovecraftian. That was not English. <laughs> like it, it was English, but like the the words coming out of that man's mouth, <laughs> I I could not tell you. Did he quote have the Innsmouth look? Is that right, Hal? Yes. <laughs> like Did he fish. have that fish eye stare? Uh, I, I didn't. I didn't get a look at him. He might have. No chin, oh, just, just uni neck. <laughs> Glob. All right. Next question or next comment is from C Pint. Uh, he says, "I rage every day that the superior Skaven race has yet to tunnel through the warp into the forty-first millennium to completely body the other factions." Big true. Big true indeed. We had a theme Next about guess. this. A couple of like comments on the Skaven one, like why are they not in 40k? This is absolutely. <laughs> they were. They used to be the Hrud, and then the Hrud got turned into weird like. I, I don't know, like, weird men. like. The, no, they're not even maggot men. They're like people, oh, yeah. but they've got scales and no necks. They're like <laughs> torso people. <laughs> I'm gonna brag that I've I literally have the only commissioned artwork of an actual crud out there, <laughs> which I did for yeah. a Dantioc uh, episode uh, video uh, for mine. It's the only it's... one of an actual. I remember speaking to the artist. <laughs> he's like, "What do they look like?" And I went, "Hold on one second, I need to need... <laughs> have an example." And like, I'm screwed. Like this is this is the only image of a crud nowadays. They used to be little space skaven. Oh yeah, look at that thing. I found there's an old picture that used to be the only image of the. You can see him in the middle. He's got it. He's got a tail. Feels bad. No fuzzy guys anymore. No fuzzy little rabbit. There's also Necron listed as unknown, which is very funny. And Kroot Warrior of Rudd. Oh, there he is, right there. Yeah, I see. He's literally Skaven. What the heck? Yeah, they used to just be Space Skaven, but then they got turned into. What's this jellyfish guy? Unknown. Fair. <laughs> That's one of the right. lost Primarchs. <laughs> That's why they kicked him out. He's too gross to look at. <laughs> you don't have any bones. Get out. Poor, poor guy. <laughs> Next comment is from the Commissar Stab Wound 1287. Also a fun name. That's a great name. <laughs> he says, uh, The worst thing about James Workshop is that even though they constantly betray me, they've still somehow convinced me to shamelessly spend half of my paycheck on their plastic toys. Very real and very true. I must agree. My favorite part is that all the new models are the good models on tabletop, so therefore you have to keep buying it. Classic. I bought more Lord of the Rings. My favorite part is how they erase the firstborn from existence. Makes me sad. Forget the promise of technology and progress, except for yeah. when it involves us buying new models. Yeah, and for don't real. forget it. There right. is only Primaris. <laughs> Feels bad. Okay, last last comment is Roger Shaftley, sixty nine seventy six. He says, Hal and Andy's breakfast heresy, eating canned beans on toast and blood sausage, but acting <laughs> like honey on English muffins is crazy. Very I mean, based. Now look. Okay. Look here, right? You can't have sugary sweet stuff yeah, first yeah, thing yeah, in the morning. Yeah. It's bad. Don't it's make bad me get the, don't don't make me get the American food starter pack out again. <laughs> Listen, okay, British food may taste like a ration pack, <laughs> but okay. First of all, I don't. No one eats blood sausage. That's like that's like a really rare thing. Like no one actually has that. It's like mm. in hotels, 
Is he thinking of black pudding? Whereas, like, Scott... Well, yeah, I mean, you you get that in full English, but, like, a lot of the time people are like, ooh, and they just scrape it off their plates. They're like, I want the sausages. What is this thing? I mean, I would like a full English. I ain't gonna lie. Full English is a hangover cure. That's what it's meant Mm. to be. I could gobble one of those. Why is it called pudding? This isn't pudding. (laughs) Right? Made of blood. Depends on the angle you see it. Blood <laughs> is this pudding of life, I guess. This Just is meat. Blood angel. This is meat, not pudding. It's congealed mm-hmm. blood and stuff. Lovely. Someone, if someone told Scottish. me there, I was going to get pudding and they flopped down a hamburger, <laughs> I'd be upset. I'd be angry. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I mean, oh, to be goodness. to be fair, though, technically I'm not British, so I can, like slightly push myself away from the aspersions that I don't know good food because I'm also from a place that has French cuisine so I'm like ah I used to Colin also agree that pudding has to be sweet not breakfast um, <laughs> but yeah uh, yeah pudding's not a breakfast dessert but that doesn't mean you can't have sweet stuff at breakfast yeah, doesn't mean you can't have Ben and Jerry's want. for breakfast okay, <laughs> sure listen, can. listen the breakfast debate should be safe hey, we, we live in a free country adults. where you can have anything you want for breakfast yeah. <laughs> We're all adults. If I want to eat ice cream for breakfast and shit my brains out, then my god, I have that power. Oh, for the people oh, who came for their Warhammer rip. Um, yeah. with, Anyways, we'll get back to the Warhammer. With that being said, though, uh, the next question of the week is, you want to sabotage the hive mind. What do you feed it? Hashtag tummy ache. Uh, of course, people, uh, the funnier the answer, the better. We particularly love the uh, the funny ones. They actually warm our souls. And okay, don't don't feel free to make it a safe answer. Go wild within reason. I'm talking at, looking at you people who swear in some of the comments. Um, but with, uh, <laughs> with that being uh, said, though, we're going to hand over to Eli for the beginner section. Thank you. And also, the British slander about British food feeding to the hive mind is a good idea. Don't forget. <laughs> <laughs> Feed them blood sausage, that'll... <laughs> <laughs> and now we'll return to the podcast. Awesome. But before we get into the uh, beginner section here, I just want to have a little uh, brief introduction just for if you are possibly new to Law Crimes. This is the beginner to expert podcast, so if you're completely new to Warhammer or you perhaps are already deliciously involved with so much of the law, you know, like an expert, um, hopefully there's a few more details and this one that you maybe have missed, or it's a nice sort of exploration of things that you already know and love. And obviously there's me, Hal, there's Andy, Colin, and Eli, and we'll be guiding you through this journey and we hope you all enjoy. But um, with that being said, though, uh, I do believe Eli will be helming us straight in to this juicy topic. Eli, are you ready? I am ready, sir. Take it away. Well, I'll keep it short and sweet for the beginning section because this is not a ton of lore to begin with and I don't want to take too much away from Colin. So here is an extremely brief summary. Uh, this is the first Tranic War, which was the first time the Tyranids were discovered by human beings. I don't know if they were discovered uh, or fought by other species in the galaxy before this. Might be the very first time at all. Pretty sure it is. It's High Fleet Behemoth. They came in through the Eastern Fringe, and they were first found on the planet Tyran, or at least the aftermath of them was found, because they absolutely obliterated the defenders on Tyran, and so Inquisitor Cryptman found a dead and lifeless planet, which he then found a codex containing the knowledge of the Tyranids. And this kind of gave him the idea that maybe there's a big deal going on, so he went to go tell the Ultramarines about it, because it's on the fringes of Ultramar. Uh, High Fleet Behemoth 
kept raging on through the galaxy, destroying every planet in their way, until finally coming to McCraig, where they were stopped for a time. Spoilers, I guess. Um, and on McCraig, they fought a glorious, incredible battle. It was the most important battle in Ultramarines history, or so the Codex claims at least. I think I would agree. And the Ultramarines had to pull back all of their forces from around the galaxy, which actually saved the Tau Empire. So the Tyranids uh-huh. saved the Tau. Keep that My in mind. My boy Farsight Ooh. lived. He did. That was, uh... Yeah, it was fine, I guess. I don't know. He was battling Cato Sicarius. So he managed to live. He was about to win, and then then he got on the comms that you should not kill this guy because we have to leave. Don't take this next 10 seconds to kill the main character, please. And then he didn't. And it's like, <laughs> I like questions. I'm not that mad. But uh, the plot convenience certainly works there. And so all the Ultramarines come back to McCraig, and they fight on the Battle of McCraig. And it's pretty epic. And that's all I'm going to say. There's really... I don't want to get too much into the details. Colin will do that. And that's that. So, without further ado, Mr. Colin will tell us all about the first Tyrannic War. I would uh, I would be happy to. Now, as a, as a bit of a forewarning... Uh, actually, I guess there's two things I, I want to just quickly say. One, this is, of course, not the beginner to expert necessarily on the Tyranids, so... In the future, we'll probably cover, you know, go more in depth on the various bioforms and quote-unquote special characters of the Tyranids. But this is a beginner to expert of the first Tyrannic War, uh, not the second and third, or indeed the fourth one that is now happening in the lore, but just just the first one. Uh, quite trendy war that's going on right now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, two is that uh, while everyone you know remembers, you know, thinks about it, it's just the Battle of Macrag, and then that's the end of the war. For a while, it was actually just. Inquisitor Crippman's wild ride. Uh, the Ultramarines are not as prominent as uh, I think. Well, they're prominent in the end, but throughout a decent chunk of it, uh, they were uh, busy fighting the Tau. Funnily enough. So, with that little forewarning, the first Tyrannic War. Uh, the first Tyrannic War is a card in Magic: The Gathering. You may put a creature from your hand onto the battlefield. <laughs> If its mana cost contains X, it enters the battlefield with number of 1 1. Co- I don't know what that means. On it, equal to the number of lands you control. And then you double it and then you sacrifice it. There's a Magic the Gathering card that's just the first Tyrannic War. I don't know how magic works. Have you thrown entire war at someone? It's an enchantment uh, dash saga. Someone knows what that means, listening. I. It's like a thing that goes on throughout the game. Uh, as a saga enters, and after your draw step, add a lore counter, sacrifice after three. So yeah, it progresses every turn, and then you get rid of it. I play magic. <laughs> I'm cool. I will say quickly before we get in, I actually got into Warhammer when the box set, just for, just for people who are like possibly new or like they may not even remember, there was like a proper box set called like the Battle of, I think it's Battle of McCrag, isn't it? Um, and that was what they do, obviously, with much many additional launches or you know big events. It's like a bigger time to launch a set of minis, like what's currently going now at the time of recording. With um, oh my god, we've actually oh, seen the box set <laughs> at, mm-hmm. at Warhammer Fest. What's it called? Leviathan. Yeah, Leviathan. Yeah. That's that's uh, heretical. Um, so there was I remember seeing that as like a kid, and then sort of the Battle of McCrag, and there's that really old. 
uh, I say really old. There's some people listening who are like really old, really. You know what I mean? Like it's not <laughs> old, <laughs> but the kind of old school cover art for the oh yeah, baby. Ultramarines. The guy has like the dual. I think it is Monet Calgo. Calgo. Yeah, it's it's, it's on that kind of bang 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 bang. It's a classic that, art piece. That classic um, piece, which was like properly because uh, GW had a time where they kind of were less cool. grim dark, and then they've kind of at certain times it's more. Reserve, like the grimdark art style is more reserved for a certain faction, like more like chaos. But I remember seeing that as a kid, thinking that's so cool. I can't wait to uh, get more into it. Indeed, Arnie is just channeling his inner Doom guy cover, just like yeah, I can do the thing where I stand on a big pile and there's lots of mm. alien stuff. Bang! He has a real will. <laughs> mm. uh, indeed. Uh, speaking of uh, hell going off, uh, getting more into it. <laughs> Uh, I have a quote for you, Hal. I only have one this episode because the Ooh. books don't have a lot of quotes, and I flipped a quote. Ah! Other than, other than, <laughs> other than, what I say? Aggressive hissing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, with that great responsibility, I flipped a coin that landed on heads. There you go, Hal. Would you mind reading this introductory quote out for the class? It's in the general sidebar that you and me tend to forget exists. Ah, uh, yes, my pain. <laughs> <clears throat> An alien threat has risen from beyond the abyss, a swarm so vast that it blots out the stars. This horror fights neither for power nor territory, but rather to feed a hunger so insatiable it would eventually devour the entire galaxy. Dun dun dun. So, uh, it doesn't say dun 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 by it not say, but uh, uh, it's, it's, it's an appropriate addition, I would say. And there's uh, a little tyranid waving in the background. I mean, like, that's me, just like, <laughs> in the crowd. Hey, no. <laughs> All shy. <laughs> so, uh, that Brilliant. was Brilliant. Inquisitor Crippman uh, on, on the Tyranids. So, uh, an Inquisitor is saying that this is uh, perhaps the greatest threat the Imperium has to face. And in this case, I might have to say I agree with them. Tyranids are quite, quite, the, uh, quite the problem, shall we say. Perhaps so we should exterminate us. <laughs> You can't exterminate space. Do you reckon, like, Inquisitors oh. have, like, a nickname for, like, did you throw a cheeky extermi or something? Like, everyone, because at some point it must be so, um, Calm. like, there's, like, a, yeah, like, well, I imagine that it's obviously meant to be reserved in terms of lore-wise, like, a big, like, the end of world. <laughs> How that. have you been these days, Inquisitor so-and-so? Oh, I've been a bit exterminaughty, if you know what <laughs> oh, I mean. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Emberly uh, Cain. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I ruined it. <laughs> uh, but, uh, just a little bit of background. This is the first uh, time the Tyranids have been recorded. So, just a little bit of brief background on how this came to be. We go back to the Horus Heresy. Shout out to Barabbas Dantioch, who detonated a device called the Pharos. Uh, so the Night Lords couldn't use it. It was a mini Astronomicon, which is basically a beacon to guide through the warp. And when it, uh, when it went critical... It made a big old flash, both in reality and the uh, Immaterium, the warp. And 10,000 years ago, when this happened, the hive mind of the Tyranids took notice and shifted course over to the Milky Way. It literally did that meme where it's like, uh, Horus Heresy, I sleep. Uh, Pharos explodes, I wake. <laughs> it's just the eyes of the big... Pretty much, know, yeah. It was like... just eyes took it in and they changed course. <laughs> Uh, they have actually been in the galaxy since, at the latest, M35, believe it or not. Uh, it's just they were never classified as such as Tyranids, which is why the first Tyrannic War 
is uh, the first Tyrannic War and not here are the Tyranids again, round two. Uh, there was one High Fleet that was not known to be a High Fleet, High Fleet Ouroboros, which was fought in M36. And in M35, uh, <clears throat> High Fleet Tiamat was discovered, but because of the nature of that High Fleet, which we may get into later in a different episode, uh, the Imperium thought it was just the native, uh, particularly angry life forms of one planet in particular. We know the real reason that they weren't called Tyranids is because they weren't near the planet Tyran, so they'd yeah. have rubbish names. That's yeah. right. Or they'd be called, like, oh, it's the Bore Boreolis. Oh, they're near the Borealis. They're the Boreolis. Now, that's not yeah. a good name <laughs> for anyone. Well, you know? uh, yeah. Uh, but the initial beginning of the proper Tyrannic Wars is uh, M41, year 742. So, for some amount of time in the eastern fringes of the galaxy... Uh, it was noted amongst Imperial officials that for whatever strange reason, planets that were uh, recorded as being, you know, lush and verdant and having ample life on them, uh, when someone, you know, did a flyby by them a second time, they were dead and barren. Uh, just gone from, like, you know, a, a nice jungle or forest world or what have you, to dead, to completely dead rock. No atmosphere, no nothing on it. Uh, even a great deal of the minerals on them had seemingly been mined out and the planet was just a rock in space now. So, good old Inquisitor Fidus Kripman, who is uh, very important to Tyranid lore, was sent to that region of space to figure out what the hell is going on. What's what's the problem here? And one of the planets was, you know, it's barren as the rest of them. It was once the ocean world of Tyran Prime. Uh, it was a Mechanicus little research outpost and all Kripman found of that outpost was a single uh, signal being uh, that was broadcasting into space that was buried thousands of meters below the planet's surface in like a bore shaft, like for mining or research into the core or what what have you. So he uh, he finds this and figures this is as good as good as good a lead as any. It's all I got so far beyond empty planets, and it details. The, uh, the fall of the planet Tyran as these kind of insect, these bug-like aliens uh, were in such great numbers they blotted out the sky and devoured everyone uh, in the Mechanicus station and uh, evidently the rest of the planet itself because it was an ocean and suddenly there's no more ocean to be had. And uh, with this the Tyranids, as they are now known, uh, named in honor of the planet Tyran, where the uh, the beginning of you know proper knowledge of the threat happened. Crittman's uh, off to figure out how am I going to deal with this? What what exactly is going on? Uh, oh, uh, the the guy who hit it has a name, Magos Varnak. Uh, shout out to Magos oh. Varnak for uh, hiding that information beneath the surface and preventing the Imperium from being devoured whole. He was a real very one. cool. Good work. <laughs> Unfortunately, all that lives on him is some calories and a tear in his stomach. Uh, so, and not many because he was a magos. Like, oh, it's like a morsel. Yeah, uh. well, they do. They do eat metal. So he could have been. Oh, maybe uh, not all metal. Like they don't eat living metal. Uh, but oh, who knows? Maybe whatever he was made out of had a high calorie count. The machine is immortal, even when it's in the Tyranid's gullet. Well, cool. It's like, what is it, like, <laughs> uranium has a calorie count of, like, 65 million per gram? 
Mm. Don't tell the gym bros. Do not. We could solve world hunger so easily. (laughs) That's the real reason you can't eat uranium. You'll get fat. That's the only reason. Everyone just has to take a bite at once at the same time. Just a a lick. Just a little nibble. It's fine. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, Mago's Farnack took a chance on just a hope that someone would find it. And luckily, Crippman found it. And uh, now armed with just a a little bit of knowledge about the Tyranid threat, namely that there's a lot of them and they're eating people, Uh, he rushed back to Imperial Space proper to figure out the Tyranid's next move. Uh, He named this particular instance of the threat Behemoth, or Behemoth. I usually say Behemoth, but I call it Behemoth when I'm talking about the High Fleet. I I don't know why. Uh, But named it Behemoth for a tradition that is uh, great threats are given the name of ancient Terran beasts, which I don't think that tradition has ever been used once, except with the Tyranids. Uh, is it kind of like um, hurricanes, isn't it? Like If they give the hurricane a mild name, people aren't as scared of it, so they have to give them more scary ones. <laughs> have you seen Hurricane Tallulah? Like, yeah, I'm not too bothered. <laughs> Je- Jenny. Jenny doesn't sound Jenny. that intimidating. Neither did Hurricane Andrew, and then uh, ask New Orleans, or Katrina. Mm. Ask, ask New Orleans yeah. how that one it, it, it takes a whole new yeah. meaning after, didn't it? Yeah, that's my name. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Uh, but uh, hur- hurricanes and uh, name traditions that may or may not actually be used outside of this instance aside, the Tyranids, meanwhile, as Kurtman was doing his investigating, uh, continued their de- path of destruction. Uh, there's a there's a couple standout worlds they ate. Uh, one was a Oculus, is what its name was. It was a massive biological research station that the Mechanicus were using. It uh, wasn't actually Imperial in origin, interestingly enough. It was captured by them in M31. Uh, so the immediate aftermath of the Horus Heresy, they got this thing, and for 9,000 years, they just uh, they just kind of held on to it. Huh. Uh, unfortunately, biological means this thing is made out of food, uh, and this station that had been firmly in Imperial control for 9,000 years uh, was devoured uh, pretty quickly. Uh, it was a buffet. Thing. The whole thing this time, because it was a big research station, and uh, again, all of it organic in like nature on some level. All of it made out of food, so it went from a moon-sized thing to nothing. Like there wasn't even a world behind. Just for something, um, if you're particularly new around Warhammer, or maybe you know it already a little bit, when the Tyranids devour a planet, it's generally the actual like the bug, the chitinous monsters that you see. They're usually one of like they actually. How say it, forerunners? Halo reference. Um, they're kind of like the mm. forerunners of the hype, but the actual devouring does come later. When so basically, there's a wave of tyrannies that clean up any resistance, and then kind of like massive tendrils, like literally poke through the planets, and then they rip like apart the things. Fleets, like dock with them almost, uh, and absorb the nutrients. And they make little like weird pools of acid, essentially, where they just even the the previous tyrannies that have invaded, like the actual monster ones, they literally just chuck themselves into the like bubbling pool. But it's like they make they make like stomachs essentially all over the planet, and then they kind of drain the most of the life away, like a kind of vein or. They're an very good at recycling. Very. <laughs> yeah, and that's that. So the the actual devouring part usually comes after the war things they they usually have completely annihilated a civilization in like a night or something and then they just go yum yum dinner time yeah and then it does 
it does remind me of Dead Space again, where it's like the necromorphs, they just get rid of all the living people, and then they're like, oh, we'll move all the flesh into a big thing, and <laughs> that's what we do. Yeah. yeah, move the flesh, because it, uh, it is kind of... Um, it is a, it's a, I don't know how to explain it, but it is... The Tyranid actual, like, monster things, they're not really the Tyranids, if you know what I mean. They're, they're not the things that do the eating. They're not the, they only have a very small portion of it, which is hard to kind of grasp. The actual portion of it is just a massive floating biomass. <laughs> Tyranids are basically the worker bees. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, but then imagine that, like, the hive is, like, the size of a planet, and there's, like, only a few bees. Mm. So and the bees have terrible. teeth and claws, and it's really scary. <laughs> there's, there's an infinite amount of angry bees just outside of you. Mm. Uh, hornets upon hornets nest yeah. <laughs> oh god but uh there uh there goes oculus uh thank you for existing to be eaten by the tyranids uh up next the orc freebooters world of jaga it's not just uh it's not just imperials getting uh getting the worst of it uh it was at one point one of the largest threats to the imperium in the segmentum uh just for shipping and trading because it was uh it was quite the quite the gathering of orcs they had great battleships and uh orc battleships granted so held together with duct tape and spit uh but it works enough to be a threat and then the tyranids showed up and even though it was uh, a very destructive battle uh there were no orcs alive by the end of that so the high fleet is just continuing onward going to grow and rather confounding critman as he's trying to investigate this because if it was just attacking imperial worlds they'd be like all right xeno's threat doesn't like humanity I can work with this, but now it's attacked the orcs. So, what what's their end goal? Because again, you know, we know what the Tyranids are about because we're out of universe. In universe, this was the Imperium's first time actually documenting them properly. So, no one really was sure what the hell the end goal of the Tyranids was. Uh, as he's trying, you know, to figure out what's going on here, he's been ordering his astropath as a like the Imperium. Uh, the Imperium phone network, except the phone is a living human being. <laughs> uh, to contact the rest of the Imperium and warn of what's coming. Uh, the problem is, is uh, another new discovery to be made, is an effect of the Tyranid hive mind. The shadow and the warp. Uh, where the sheer psychic presence of the hive mind completely blocks off the ability to communicate through the warp. That's just, there's so many bugs and it's such a powerful uh, psychic presence of the total hive mind you can't get through uh it does other stuff uh it also makes warp travel damn near impossible and it can even prevent psyker powers from being used uh but the communications blackout is in this case the worst of it for critman's purposes uh there is a nearby planet of thandros which uh could hold the key to getting some kind of message out uh it was an astropathic booth astropathic ugh booster station uh so it's like a it's like a cell phone tower you can uh, you get good reception there uh, it's like 40k is equivalent of a 5g tower yeah it's like yeah 100,000 g is your astropath into it? <laughs> uh, oh my god uh i think i was imagining imagine that also oh, good sorry i think you could plug them into it what what exactly they do with it is just kind of described as them using it uh how exactly mm. feel free to uh, I mean, in I know in the uh, Warhammer TV show Angels of Death, there's a bit where the Tyranids have like uh, corrupted a, an astropathic choir, and they're kind of tied 
to a mast of sorts and then when they're trying to send the signal out going yay we're going to liberate the planet they're all like screaming they're still alive but they're like coupled to the device so i'm not sure but maybe it's like a signal booster or something like that that just oh, amplifies that powers. there is one in um one of the Yarrick books, the one on Armageddon, and the way they explain it is it when they call it a choir, it's because it's the room that they're in is kind of assembled like a choir. When mm. there's like a, almost like a conductor in the middle, who like the main um, uh, Ashrapath slash um, oh, who's navigator in a way, and then sort of the rest of them act as like boosts. It's kind of like how psychic power works in Warhammer, where sometimes just being around other psychers, if you connect with them, you can actually like sort of. Accentuate each other's powers, mm. and um, particularly with the astropathic ones, they kind of use it as like a. The, yeah, the, when it's like an actual tower, they don't need the actual structure of the tower to be used, but it, it doesn't really help the tower itself. It's actually the people who are assembled in this, but they're obviously they're very important. And the way obviously the grim dark universe works is they don't rely on AI, so obviously that's why there's like obviously yeah. things like server, you know, basically everything's half human, half machine at that point and so they just use the ash that they're basically the boosting choir of all these psychers in this room to then but they basically kind of all collectively shout into the yeah. uh, warp and they just basically go hey and they're like listen oi 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 what <laughs> oh there we go there he is yeah. mom. <laughs> mom. A little... mom it's a bit <laughs> alan alan is just like the chipmunks but um they kind of it's difficult as well because it's so you're trying to basically send a signal. It's like a bullet trying to go through water, where like it eventually will slow down, and then things get in the way of it. So they kind of they have to send like a very short, weird message that only other um, Ashapas can interpret. Yeah. It's really weird. Works. There's like there's another episode of Hammer and Bolter where like uh, the Death Guard corrupt an astropathic choir, so they spread a plague between choirs, and it travels through the space. And it's like, what? How does that work? But it's like because yeah, it's oh, it's yeah. the, it is the human connection with it, because it's yeah. it is entirely it is like a phone signal, but it's actually literally human string, if you know what I mean. Which sounds really creepy, yeah. but obviously it's a grim dark future. But um, yeah, it's kind of it it's it's just weird in in the Angels of Death one because again they've got like this whole room of gene stealers, and there's the patriarch, and then the tower's there, and obviously. The astropaths are still human, but they're being kind of enslaved on this tower. And they're not very happy when they send the signal out, being like, come and destroy the world, Tyranids. They're like, having a good old shriek. And you're like, yeah, that doesn't look fun. Love me, star children. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's 40k, <laughs> so it's probably horrendous and doesn't need to be as horrendous as yeah. it is. Um, someone most likely suffered just oh, yeah. even... Just even like yeah. making a, a nail or a screw. Well, uh, well, that was the word from the apparent sponsor of this video, the Adeptus Astropathica. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> upgrade your cell phone to new Astropath SIM cards. Yeah. Need the 5G towers alone. <laughs> but uh, yeah, booster station, planet of Andros. Uh, <laughs> sends, sends out sends out big yell. Uh, it too was uh, still nonetheless blocked. Uh, but it was also Crippman's best chance of getting anything out. Maybe he could jury rig something. He's an inquisitor. Uh, they tend to be smart fellas. Maybe he can figure something out. Uh, so, on the journey there, uh, he's observing more and more worlds that, much like the initial ones in the reports that caused him to go out to begin with, were also stripped clean of life and combined that with previous evidence, what he learned on Tyran and just observations... He realized that the Tyranids, they have 
there is no, like, the grand strategic plan of the Tyranids is that they don't have one. There's no plan. There's no ideological motivations. They're just bulldozing through the galaxy to get to the all-you-can-eat buffet that is everyone inside of it. Uh, the only quote-unquote path you can track with the Tyranids is uh, form a line of all of the, like, lush, like, bio-rich worlds that are in front of them. And uh, that's probably where they're going to go, because, again, there is no motivation. There is just hunger uh, for the Tyranids. Uh, Crippman gets to Thandros, and uh, to absolutely no one's surprise, it, too, has been devoured. Uh, the defenses it had had completely run dry, uh, but being even less defended than Tyran, uh, it was promptly consumed, and Tyranids left. Uh, moved on as they do. They do not stay around to fortify or infest a planet. Uh, if you've ever played Stellaris, there's the Prethlerin Scourge that's pretty heavily based on the Tyranids. Uh, those guys stick around to form a planet, or to terraform a planet and use it to make new bioships. Tyranids don't do that. Cravers. Or Cravers. Well, Cravers also don't do that. Cravers <laughs> are also part metal, so they're they're weird. They were designed to. They're cooler too. Tyranids. They are, they are pretty cool. They're not unfallen, though. They can never be trees. <laughs> uh, and billions must trees. <laughs> billions must root. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they get to they get to Thandros, and uh, Crittman is in a bit of a bit of a pickle now. But there is a bit of a bright spot because the whatever equipment that isn't just more screaming psychers has largely been left untouched by the Tyranids, uh, it not being food and therefore of complete uninterest to them. Uh, meanwhile, the uh, the High Fleet is a uh, behemoth is a uh, getting up to some more hijinks uh some tendrils of it uh passed by solemnness where if you uh, know a bit about that the home planet of trays in the infinite and his galactic museum my uh, beloved the the best the best guy uh they uh they pass by looking for food as they do again they're not hunting anything beyond like specific beyond food as a as a concept so they uh, they pass by and they register the threat that is the Necrons and the complete lack of any biomass they would gain from it, uh, aside from maybe like you know the a couple people and animals trays in as frozen as museum, not enough to be worth invading. Uh, so those tendrils of Behemoth just kind of float on by and eventually enter hibernation, as they could not find uh, rich enough worlds in biomass in time. I'm in Necron W. Common Necron W indeed. Uh, Although they do seem to be the 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 hard counter to Tyranids in a lot of ways. It's well, yeah. They don't. uh, They offer the Necrons nothing. Chaos as well. Apart from the flayed ones, it's like you could nipple on my like flayed (laughs) ones like face a little, but it's not going to be enough to make the journey worth it. Yeah, (laughs) you you know that you can feed one gaunt with that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, There's also an instance of Behemoth devouring the fortress world of Sibiri. Uh, a planet held by the Heretic Astartes Death Shadows chapter. May that horrible, edgy name live on forever in the stomach of Bayon, <laughs> the Death Shadows. Uh, which further proves Griffman's point, uh, incidentally, of them just being here for food. Uh, because uh, although they cannot eat demons, uh, the Tyranids, because they're just made out of warp stuff and emotions, you can eat the followers of Chaos pretty well. And uh, Sibiri wasn't a chaos demon world proper, it was a fortress world, uh, Chaos was squatting in, uh, so the Tyranids showed up, and then there was no more Fortress World. It was just a whole lot of dead traitors. Which, uh, good for them. 
At least the Tyranids are an equal opportunity monster. Uh, back to Crippman, because like I was saying at the beginning, uh, a large portion of the of the first Tyrannic War is Crippman's wild ride across the eastern fringes of the Imperium. Uh, as... Crippman's bizarre adventure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, McCrog is unbreakable. Uh, <laughs> but uh, with uh, things getting even more dire, because every minute he can't warn the Imperium is probably another world that's falling, uh, he's able to figure out the course of the hive mind and uh, realize that, uh-oh, they're, uh, they're going to Ultramar, the home of the Ultramines. And for several reasons, this is, uh, this is bad. One, of course, is Ultramarines' first founding chapter, one of the original legions. They've got a lot of good stuff, and if they die, that's uh, quite the loss to the Imperium. Uh, two is that uh, this is all taking place, just for reference, probably could have started with this, but here we are, is uh, Segmentum Ultima, uh, the easternmost uh, of the Imperium Segmentums, which are like the largest division of Imperial space. Uh, it's kind of like uh, anyone, like, you know, you describe America as like the Midwest, the East Coast, the West Coast. Uh, it's, it's, like, it's like that for the Imperium, just in space. Uh, so, and uh, the problem with that is that if Ultramar falls, it's not only, you know, a very built-up realm with a lot of people in it that would vastly feed the Tyranids, but because of the sheer size of the Segmentum, it means that this is one of, like, the only major like defensive lines you can form against the Tyranids. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's got quite a distance between it and Terra as well. So it's like it's a big outpost, quite far away from the from the throne world. And it's like if that falls, then that's a big like exposed area that leads straight to Terra. It's not like a it's not close, but it's a quite direct route where it's like mm-hmm. oh that's like a big bulwark against whatever's yeah. on the east, which is a really horrible place most of the time. We want that where it is. It's just yeah. aliens would have to ultra. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's just the sheer size of like the segmentum means that it's by nature very decentralized. So yeah, Macrog falls, and suddenly the Tyranids have free reign over what makes up like a third of all Imperial space. Like that's the last mm. solid defensive point you can make before it's open season for the Tyranids. Uh, and although no one quite knows the uh, about the Tyranids' adaptability yet. Uh, what we know is that they integrate the genes uh, of whatever they eat. And at this point in the lore, uh, Rabute Gilliman is still laying in slumber on Macrog. Uh, so if they eat that, uh, the Tyranids... Tyranid Primark. Tyranid Primark time. Uh, the Tyranids are suddenly going to know how to do their taxes very well. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Uh, Crittman is actively just like He's he's doing everything he can, and he is horrified. Uh, what remained, though, of, like I said, they did not eat uh, all of Thandros's relay. They salvaged it, used it on Crippman's astropath. Again, how exactly they did, I don't know. Maybe they got the corpses of, like, the skulls of the psychers and sang. I don't, maybe they just plugged something into the guy. The specifics could not find, uh, I'm afraid. Uh, well, I mean, at least if the, again, the Angels of Death series is anything to go by, it's like, they maybe don't kill them, they just, like, put them on life support, and then they're like, you're still useful, but then, yeah. once that use isn't used, we'll eat you. Then it's like, oh, these it. are useful, you know, yeah. Uh, but whatever it was, they managed to get out a message at great effort, and uh, 
uh, strain on the psyker's mind, with McCrog itself being the only thing to answer the call. So it's uh, time to go to Ultramar. Uh, Kripman manages to beat the hive mind uh, Behemoth uh, to uh, McCrog, and he has a meeting with uh, Marnanius Calgarius himself, uh, Big Daddy Calgar. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, he listens patiently to the Inquisitor. Calgar's a cool dude. He uh, knows Kripman's definitely got some good insight to be shared. And with that, uh, the Ultramarines prepare for battle on the planet of Perondium in McCrog. Uh, it's a lush garden forest world that uh, is described. It's been it was described in the reading I did as a a wonder of the Imperium. It's like a, it's like the you know, like Garden of Eden, the planet, and the Ultramarines, as it is part of Ultramar, they're bound to protect it. And uh, it didn't it didn't go so hot for the Smurfs. Mm. They, oh no! They uh, it was a slaughter, and not for not a. <laughs> Not against the Tyranids. Uh, the tactics they used, they did a lot of things like, you know, like hit and run, aerial harassment tactics, uh, you know, split up. Tactics that against, you know, like a mortal enemy, you know, with like supply lines and whatnot and field commanders, you know, all that kind of stuff, lieutenants, would be very effective. The problem is the Tyranids' uh, combat doctrine is to have a massive blob of violence and just kind of move it forward uh, at breakneck speed into your front lines. <laughs> yeah, the Ultramarines are like, let's target the commander. And they're like seeing a big sea of them, like, all right, <laughs> Which what's one? your best guess? Which one's in charge? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> it looks similar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which, to be fair, uh, they would later learn that the Tyranids do have their own twisted version of commanders. But again, you need to keep in mind, first Tyrannic War, this is the first proper battle against, like, war against them. They don't know what those those creatures look like yet. Uh, so, like you're saying, Andy, that one that one looks like the commander. I don't know. Uh, it's that. Yeah, it's, um, oh, sorry, I was. Oh, I, I, I would say it reminds me of like um, when people think about particularly like Napoleonic era war, and we go like, why do they all just like stand up in a line and then you like fire in combat that way? And it's always because at some point when like war advances in technology, there was always a ah, this seems to be the most effective with what technology slash what enemy we're, we're facing. Mm-hmm. There's like another, if I remember correctly, what's the one between um, France or, Frank, uh, yeah, France and Prussia, where like suddenly Prussia changed the game when instead of having line infantry, it changed to basically breaking things down to squads. I think it was the something Prussian wars with Napoleon yeah. the, 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 not the, the, the nephew. One. That one, yeah, where like kind of the entire battlefield sense or the Prussians changed the quote unquote the game. And it's the same way now where like the um the Tyranid threat essentially is like, oh, this is an enemy who doesn't fight in the way that we would expect them to. And now for the Ultramarines they're like, oh, it's clearly like whatever we've been doing warfare before, it's literally failed us now because the enemies advanced beyond it. Yeah, I don't remember who said the quote, but it's something along the line of like a like the every general is perfectly prepared for the last war. Uh, like like the difference between World War One and Two. Yeah. It's like, oh, we can't use trenches anymore. It's like, what? That's my thing. It's like, <laughs> no, my we can't do trenches anymore. It doesn't work. It's like in in the context of trench warfare, the Maginot Line was a masterpiece. Unfortunately, Germany uh, had tanks. <laughs> yeah. They did, they did not. They went around. Uh, but so yeah, uh, Ultramarines 
took some pretty bad losses, was not great. Uh, Prandium was forced to be sacrificed to the Tyranids, which is a major problem, and not only because Ultramarines lost, Tyranids win, but because as such a lush and like wonderfully verdant world, uh, it pretty much just replenishes the Tyranid losses, so it's like the battle may as well have not happened uh, from their point of view. Uh, the planet of Kalth also fell, because of course it did. It's Kalth. Nothing Aww. good ever happens on Kalth. For reference, there was a massive battle at Kalth during the Horus Heresy for um, uh, people who might not know Horus Heresy lore. And essentially, the word bearers just... Uh, a Trace, Trace Legion word bearers essentially ambushed the not yet suspected uh, or the, un the unsuspectingly uh, betrayed the Imperium openly and they yeah. decimated many of the Ultramarines Legion, so Legion uh, time period, so there were hundreds of thousands of uh, Ultramarines who perished on Kalth, so Kalth has seen a lot of yeah. also, Kalth and... was the, the, the Ruin Storm, which was like that massive warp storm that yeah, Kalf had a bad like because that specifically was the first battle the Ultramarines partook in, and it was the one where they weren't prepared for it. They lost like hundred thousand Marines, and then as a last act of ha, huh, I hate you, Erebus and the Word Bearers also poisoned its sun to irradiate Kalf, so you can't stand on the surface for more than like a few minutes if you're a Space Marine, let alone a human. It's like, yeah, it's not good. It's a bad, bad, nasty yeah. place. It's a uh... I'll jump ahead a little bit, uh, like to the end of war. Uh, it, it, the aftermath is described as Prandium being the only major world that fell, which means Kalth Cal doesn't even get to be called a major world Dang anymore. Rip. It yeah. got so like ruined in the heresy in the time afterwards. Well, the <laughs> they they don't still, even count it. The people yeah. still live well because of the first incident at Kalth. They eventually were forced underground. Yeah. Yeah. Kalth used to be beautiful long time, like ten thousand years ago, <laughs> and um, then it got Lorgard. It got, yeah. it got, well, I wasn't there, it got Erebust. Oh, Erebusted. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it was word, but it got word buried. <laughs> they, they got some literacy done. Oh no. And uh, after, after this tremendous shit show, uh, two things of note uh, happened. One far more important than the other. Uh, feel free to decide which is the more important one. Uh, one is that Marnius Calgar fasted and meditated for a week straight. He just went into a trance, like just thinking about what what happened. How do, how do we? That's badass. How do we not let this happen again? Very cool hunger strike. Uh, and he came <laughs> out and declared that the uh, Ultramarines' plied, pr plied pride had guided them to a vastly changing galaxy. It had been ten thousand years since the damn thing was written, and. Uh, the uh, I think it was what I read was the Codex is written for Space Marines. Space Marines aren't written for the Codex. Uh, if you need Just, more, what's up? Okay, sorry. I'll go ahead and finish. I'll, I'll uh, jump in after. I would say if you need more reason to hate Leandros, uh, it should be noted that Marnius Calgar himself said the Codex is not everything, and nice. yet we still have Oof. Leandros being the absolute worst. Going, your book said this is bad. Titus, you shouldn't jump out of the ship like a badass. <laughs> the book says it's naughty. It's like, shut up. No one likes you, Leandros. action. I love the Russian Badger video. It's like, it's like you know, the Codex of Stardy does not support this reaction. Shut the fuck up, Leandros. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, um, just for uh, context for some people, the Codex of Stardy, which is written from an Ultramarine perspective by Gilliman at the end of the heresy to sort of split up the legions of the chapters again so no basically no being would be able to wield imperial forces to the level like a primarch would so there'll be no 
way to betray it to the same yeah. level. It's sort of like uh, if a chapter yeah. goes rogue, it's like a chapter, not a legion. Yeah, and, and it's the final word to put a bow after the big civil war where like hundreds of thousands of space marines and million, billions of people died and Gillum's like, right, this is the book about how that's not going to happen again. You know, okay, take it seriously. And there's like this 10,000 year old scripture. We, we, I call it scripture because the ultramarines themselves, they do, it is the 41st millennium. So obviously there's the god emperor of mankind and they, it is very much worshipped as the, like the Bible for them. So it's just absolutely crazy that um, in the context of this, uh, the uh, chapter master of Marnius Calgar of the Ultramarines would say the Codex is not good enough for this, which is... <laughs> it's like the Pope first... taking a few pages out of the Bible and going, we don't need this, we don't... It's like, what are you doing? You can't it's do that. Good yes, it. It's like, it like the Pope saying, listen, the Bible doesn't have social media rules. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and he'd be like, what? the hell <laughs> it should also be noted that the only thing gilliman demanded everyone follow from the astartes was the organizational reforms like the was you can't have legions anymore that's a no-no you can't do that uh, all of the tactics in it were like that was gilliman just codifying tactics so people could use them uh so funnily enough by calgar going the codex doesn't have anything that's ironically exactly what gilliman would want you to think he's like listen this is just what I know. You do what you do best. You don't need to listen to anything. You don't need to listen to anything but the, you know, no more legions business in this book. Uh, so, funnily enough, Calgar came to a realization that Gilliman probably would have given a little pat on the back for. Mm. Uh, the second most important, the second thing, uh, the vastly more important thing. Uh, who cares about the Ultramarines uh, shaking off ten thousand years of tradition stagnation? That who cares? <laughs> the real thing is uh on the planet of Kalth before the fighting ended, one brave, one mad lad uh, managed to blast a Tyranid in the face, uh, a creature known as a Carnifex, so a quite big threat, uh, in the face with a plasma bolt, and uh, it fell. Uh, its brain and skull was seared, the right side of its face just completely burned off, and the beast was declared dead, and its body was frozen as the winter snow set in. Uh... Surely nothing bad will come of that surely dead beast that I will not be Likely covering not. in about 10 to 15 minutes. Surely nothing. <laughs> uh, but it's time for uh, for the Macrog, the final showdown. Uh, the Ultramarines, they change things up. The, they realize that you can't really fight the Tyranids in the open field uh, because, one, at, at this point, they're still not really sure how the, uh, the command chain, uh, how any of that works or even exists. And two... There's a lot more of them, so if you try to flank them, you're just going to get surrounded and eaten alive. Uh, it's better against the Tyranids to build static defenses, that so that way, as long as you don't run out of ammo, you at least have a shot, uh, rather than basically walking into a field in a nice orderly line and then getting devoured. So, they, uh, they fortify Ultramar. Uh, as we briefly mentioned earlier, uh, the Damocles Crusade was going on, uh, the Imperium was fighting the Tau Empire. Uh, it was quite the quite the battlefield, quite the theater of war, I must say. Uh, in Caiaphas Cain's own worlds, uh, he'll give the Tau one thing, they know how to put on a good war. Uh, but before the Imperium could do what the Imperium does best and drown the problem in bodies, uh, shout out to the guard, Bayamoth is now like fully known about and urgently needs to be dealt with. Like, the Tau 
are a problem, the Tyranids are an Imperium-ending threat. So the Damocles Crusade is called off, the Ultramarines all return to Macrog. every single member of the chapter is on the planet. Uh, the forces of the Guard that were with them are pulled back as well. This is, uh, this, this is the showdown, because like I was saying earlier, this is the last stand between the Tyranids, like, having to deal with, like, proper resistance and basically having open season on a very decentralized portion of the Empire. Uh, so, Macrog is fortified uh, to a level not since seen, seen since the Horus Heresy. And despite this, the, uh, the battle is brutal. Uh, the entire chapter defending the world, they, uh, the Ultramarines themselves are largely focused around the Fortress of Hera, their fortress monastery, and where Gilliman's taken his nap still at this point in the lore. And the Tyranids, of course, focus on that as well, as it's the greatest source of resistance on the planet, and in long terms, uh, the only thing between them and a proper meal. So if they take out this, it is time for the planet to, uh, to end, and indeed the Imperium, arguably. Uh, nevertheless, uh, it's just horrible. Like, the skies are on fire with Tyranid spores raining down onto them, Millions more are still making it. Uh, bugs are everywhere, and uh, Marnius Calgar himself decides he's gonna he's gonna throw down with the closest thing the Tyranids have to a champion and the leader. Uh, Eli, would you like to talk about that a little bit? Marnius Calgar uh, versus uh, Swarm Chad. Yes, sir. I will. We can talk about the battle of uh, what is it? Cold Steel Ridge, which I summarized for you all. So here we go. It was, the, it was during the Battle of Cold Steel Ridge that Marnaeus Calgar battled the Swarm Lord. He had originally chosen the location because it took the Tyranids' greatest strength away from them, that of numbers. The, the Xenos were forced to cross the bridges and walk through valleys to become bottlenecked, as hailing bolter fire slaughtered them wholesale. Assault marines threw themselves at the Synapse creatures while scouts and bikes lured beasts into killing fields of tank fire. The stratagems of Calgar were working well until the greatest Tyranids the Ultramarine had ever seen entered the fray. The Swarm Lord began to command his troops, countering the Ultramarines over and over again until the Horde began to break through and overrun the warriors. The Swarm Lord sent Raveners and Trigons to massacre the trenches, making them into canals of blood, and from here the defense crumbled. The Space Marines turned to destroy the Xenos, creating a hole in their line and letting a brood of Carnifexes through to destroy the armor's support. Calgar knew he was about to lose, and so he brought in Thunderhawks to bring about a retreat. But the Swarmlord could tell his prey was about to escape, so he bellowed a challenge and charged into the retinue, or into the fray with a retinue of Tyranid warriors, slaughtering every Space Marine in their way. Marnaeus was cut off from his honor guard because the Swarm Lord's cheeky little guy had commanded Hormagons to feign death and then they burst out of the piles of corpses to assail his Space Marine guardians. Uh, when the Swarm Lord finally reached Calgar, the Ultramarine put up a valiant fight, but unfortunately, in the word, the authors wrote him as being already near death when the battle began, so it kind of takes away from the epicness of the duel. Uh, but whatever. I, I was disappointed when I read that. So he was defeated overall. Um, battered and bruised. I didn't find the actual descriptions. I don't know if his arms actually got cut off like the TTS meme. But we can we can say his arms and legs got cut off for fun. But before the Swarm Lord could kill him, his honor guard jumped in front of him and pushed the beast back. Uh, Aloysius, commander of the guard, sacrificed himself, fighting alone against the Swarm Lord 
and the Swarm Lord's guards so that his brothers could escape on the newly arrived Thunderhawks. The Ultramarines' uh, author armor will stay forever. <laughs> the, the greatest plot armor of them all. Really, but yeah, the swarm was pretty, pretty freaking epic. He outsmarted Marnay's Calgar and beat him in a battle, and then uh, they ran away. Yeah, you, you don't, you don't want to be in melee range of the swarm lord. You uh, spoil all four of his arms. <laughs> Unless you are table, tabletop avatar of Cain or Angron, you you aren't winning that fight. Yeah, I like the fact the uh, the swarm lord has like integrated four bone sword arms, but uniquely for the swarm lord, the swords he has are made from a crystal that can't be found within the milky way galaxy yeah so it's, it's implied that it's it's a conquest of another galaxy i like the idea of trays and just rubbing his hands together like i want one of those <laughs> i'm sure yeah. he has a swarm lord somewhere yeah, <laughs> he's got a collection of different like shades of like this is an onyx shade <laughs> one and this is a purple this one is from Bayamoth, uh, this is from leviathan yeah. oh, the swarm lord's too cool it's <laughs> this... like sole reason to make me want to play tyranids this is this is part of the swarm I unleashed on the phalanx and Battlefleet got because it was funny. <laughs> it also goes to show as well this particular like battle as well. Like as much as people might think, oh, the Tyranid hive mind slash big, you know, tendrils, whatever. Even though its like main thing is just feed, it only desires to just basically consume all biomass. It's not unintelligent in a way. It just doesn't need to be more than that only at times like such as battlefield so it does have um like genuine tactics and yeah, uh like smart. it is it is smarter than a human in a way yeah it's, it's smarter like than if, calgar it's it's like if like you gave an animal like the highest iq on the planet but you don't give it like <laughs> proper sapience uh so it's the deadly it's now the deadliest predator on the planet it's just you know it doesn't give a shit about culture it doesn't need books it just needs food it's like an octopus and a shark combined. <laughs> I don't know. The the only emotion I'm aware of that I've seen the Tyranid do is in the Space Marines 2 trailer where Captain Titus does his superhero landing and they take a step back and then the the guy in charge That's is like, awesome. Oi, don't don't walk backwards. It's just a space marine's like, oh, oh, oh babe. That's not just him. That's that's <laughs> Captain Titus. He's gonna rip you a new one. Well, he may be Lieutenant Titus now, but that just means he's more on the ground, ready. He's to still a captain in my heart. <laughs> I don't care what the Inquisition says; uh... they can take me. He's still a captain. <laughs> got two knuckle dusters. One says plot, and one says armor, <laughs> <laughs> and both are smashing uh... in Leandros's face. <laughs> at least he, at least he lost the fight. Even if the authors uh... gave him an excuse to lose the fight, which was so lame, but. It's fine. Everything's fine. What makes the it extra horrible? Cool. Oh, oh, sorry, anyone else go first? Oh, no, you first. I was going to move on. I'll say, just for, like, for people thinking, oh, that sounds kind of like a nice clash. What makes it like extra horrifying is that like, obviously Space Marines are just using like Bolter, Blade, and Flamer. With the, the Tyranid weapons, just like being a regular guardsman on McCrag, even though obviously McCrag is fortified beyond... Imagine fortifying Earth. Like to a crate, like trenches literally everywhere and buildings and guns. And then the Tyranid weapons are like even smaller bugs that can like eat. Yeah, like they're, uh, they're flesh borer rifles. It, it shoots a thing at you. Like they're just it's bugs, a creature yeah. that eats you. It, they're a sphincter. <laughs> oh, God. It literally does. Their weapons, <laughs> their, uh, their swords, and their obviously like their pincers, they can pierce through ceramite and they devour people from the. Like it's, it is basically any interaction with a tyranny weapon 
for most things it's like you're walking dead essentially so it is yeah. pretty if, if you see an orifice you duck away from it because you don't know what's coming <laughs> out of it and it's probably gonna cut probably gonna kill you or hurt you, <laughs> whatever you it just is, stay away from it's them. unpleasant yeah, yeah. I want to mention one last thing though, which is like it's mentioned in the devastation of Baal, which is another Tyranid siege. We'll probably cover <laughs> in a podcast one day when the it happens. Like we, because like, obviously everyone like imagines like these battles in their head. The Tyranid swarm is so large that it actually creates like artificial night. So yeah. for, for, for when you're imagining these battles, that's how they, they're not swarming it by like a big thing covering the sun. That's like loads of tiny little bugs. Covering the sun, that's how many yeah. are. And both the Blood Angels and Ultramarines have had the toughest time. They're like, we need, like, the Blood Angels, like, we need every successor to defend the planet just from the Tyranids because they're that much of a threat. Yeah. And it's I think, terrible. And I think Baal, oh. their homeworld, was as. Macrag is probably the most, other than Terror, the most fortified planet in mm. the entire Imperium. So just going to show it how. To, it used to be the... Yeah. Sure. Oh, Did yeah. the Ultramarines even call back the other successor chapters? I Is there no time? I don't think they about them did. doing that, but I'm guess I, I don't think one. they do. But but again, they've got like a massive multi-world spanning empire. So it's like you've got more guard than you would with Baal. Yeah. It's probably a bigger planet. It's got more infrastructure. It's got more resources, mm. and it's the Ultramarines who are like the, the, the premier <laughs> the premier chapter. As much so as we do like, to yeah. Ultramarines, we have to we do want to mention that the guards. There's probably billions yeah. of gods yeah, it's like, yeah. Doing and titans game. and they had titans oh yeah and, oh yeah it's like it's just the space marines are just the ultramarines but it, it's it's the full like the full might of the imperial military is here right now mm -hmm. so literally it'll, it'll be a battle that would like destroy earth if yeah. it was like to rage on it's an incomprehensible but uh but if you thought the chapter master of the ultramarines nearly getting killed was bad the first company's doing it even worse uh, they were at the northern uh, pole of Macrag, uh, in the frozen wastes where some uh, more defensive batteries were located, and they were killed to a man. And uh, just for reference, yep. these were Terminators. They were the first company. These are the guys who get the good, the you know, the extra primo stuff, <laughs> and uh, did not help them. Uh, although, yeah, they, uh, that's bad. For what it's worth, uh, what I read was the, they killed so many Tyranids they were like. Blanketing the ground like ten corpses, six deep, many corpses deep, more than zero corpses yeah. deep. Uh, it's a big loss for the ultramarines. The temple of the flame went out in the temple or whatever. Yep. When they died, I think. Yeah. And they couldn't recover loads of their Terminator armor suits because they were so badly damaged. Like, oh, that we are, we can't do anything. It's it's just it, it's it's just bits. We can't use it's this in, anymore. It's in pieces, and so is the guy who was wearing it. Yeah, it's <laughs> a cool diorama as well. If you look it up, I think it's especially sad though because when we say uh, first company, that is first company is the elite. The veterans. So a lot of these are like centuries old ultramarines. Like there's no there's no young blood in these. In the and first. their panoplies are like multi thousands of years old. They've been through mm. countless. Like some of it's probably from the Horus Heresy. It's been through like the darkest and brightest moments of the Ultramarines yeah, chapters been, history. And now, oh, it's gone. We can't use it anymore. Oh, all that history in gone. In a single day, it's been taken. But uh, even with all this, uh, you must still remember we are still dealing with the Ultramarines. Uh, yeah, so, buddy. Uh, yeah, the battle kind of just goes from the Ultramarines are all taking horrible losses and. Uh, and then we won. <laughs> well, this is because of it's because of space. It's because of space I, I was, that they I'm win. Get to that. Uh, All right. Okay. There's, <laughs> there's, a, there's a thing about high fleet Bayamoth. 
Uh, it wasn't just moving as one big old blob of, you know, death. Uh, it was two, uh, two halves of it were leapfrogging each other. So one, one half would devour a world, the second half would go ahead of them, and then that first half would go ahead of them, and then on and on and on and on and on. Uh, problem was, the Ultramarines, at very, very horrendous, devastating cost, were able to beat the, uh, alongside their allies, the Guard and whatnot, were able to hold off the fight on Makrog. Uh, they didn't kill every single Tyranid, but they were able to, at the very least, uh, weaken that half enough that Makrog was no longer in danger of falling. It's a From numbers game, isn't it? Because they had to, basically, the, the, the Tyranid Hive Mind goes, you cost too much right now to yeah. take over. Uh, problem was, uh, the other half was in space, like you mentioned, Eli. Uh, as, uh, so, in the space uh, around Makrog, fight's not done yet, as the other half arrived to finish off the uh, weakened Ultramarines. And the other half, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, for real. Well, there's a lot of Tyranids, what do you want? pain <laughs> one half almost wiped them out and they're like it's literally someone saying like box has been fighting with a hand tied behind his back yeah mm -hmm. uh but thankfully the imperial navy is here to save the day uh the Yay. perhaps most forgotten about navy in all of science fiction yeah. uh <laughs> they're here this is their this is their one time to shine it's this in battlefleet gothic yeah, other than Admiral Spire being a badass, like, Abaddon, pish, rubbish. <laughs> yeah. I'm Admiral Spire. I don't give a damn about Abaddon. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, the Navy is going at it, and the fighting is arguably even fiercer in space, because this is where the Tyranid bioships are, and they're, they're ships. They're not like, you know, a Carnifex is big. This is a spaceship that's made out of meat. Uh, so quite big. And, uh, hate that uh, I yeah, hate that sentence. I hate that sentence so much. It is. It's the meat ship. Oh, God. And uh, the fighting is so horrible that the, the Imperium has to send in reinforcements from an entire other segmentum, uh, Segmentum Tempestus, which I don't remember where that is on the map. Uh, is that the south one? It won't be the one uh, that's Terra. It won't, it won't no, be that, more... That's the, it's not north, solar. is it? Yeah, it'll be more east. Or north, possibly. I think it might be north because I think I think like is Ultramar like the most southeasterly place on the map, and oh. then it's like you can only go up oh. and left from there. Uh, Segmentum Tempestus is south. It's the one below. Oh, okay. So, hmm. I think we should also mention Mr. Calgar is back on his feet. Uh, I, I went. <laughs> he uh, lives. Can't keep a good man down. They uh, they they gave him some replacement everything, and uh, he's back on. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, he's commanding himself in space. He is. Unfortunately, he cannot fight in space. However, being a man against yeah. a meat ship. <laughs> uh, so even with these reinforcements, it's uh, it's not looking great. Uh, Kripman, however, he's also in space, and he he's he's he comes to a realization. Uh, certain bio ships, when they're destroyed, all of the surrounding ones just lose any kind of cohesion. They just go into like animalistic meltdown. Uh, which the Imperium would also learn applies to certain creatures on the ground, synapse creatures, as the way that works is it's how the hive mind uh, directs them through these synapse creatures. And when you blow that one up, the rest of the the smaller creatures are cut off from the hive mind and uh, revert to like animalistic instincts. 
or as scientists call it, the phantom menace me method. <laughs> it's like you, you get the Gungans involved on the ground and then you just blow up the ship yeah. and then they go, ah, oh, they're broken. And then they have dogs. <laughs> we <so> did it. <laughs> <laughs> they are broken. Oh, oh, man. For being the worst. Funny. Uh, but uh, even with this, again, a lot of Tyranids. This is the second half of Leviathan. Uh, thankfully, the Imperium has a little something called an Emperor-class battleship, uh, the Dominus Astra. Uh, it does not win by being like a meant dozen, like a dozen mile long battleship. It wins by charging into the center of the Tyranid uh, blob of violence uh, and detonating its warp drive. Uh, if you, had, you you like Halo Reach, uh, they George it. Oh. <laughs> For the Emperor Bros. Uh, for the Emperor. And uh they solve the problem of the second half of Behemoth in the most in the most fitting way possible. Sending all of the Tyranids to the Immaterium and making them some poor demons problem to deal with. <laughs> it's not a move they can do, I think because the Emperor class ship is is they can't make them anymore, can they? No, they they can't make them anymore and maintaining them alone is already like straining the Imperium. So uh yeah, that's that's not a reliable throw the battleship at it tactic yeah it's not a hold maneuver where it's like i could just jump through space and blow up these stars like no no you can only do it once why oh because we don't expensive. have a lot of boats yeah you just bankrupted 10 sectors yeah uh and with that the battle is won uh but the aftermath is uh, a little rough uh the ultramarines lost so a many, little a little uh the ultramarines lost so many men that on top of the the whole first company, that it took them almost a century for them to uh, clear Macrog of the remnants of the Tyranids, and even longer for them to reach uh, full strength. Uh, and they were only able to even do that because the Blood Angels, uh, Dante was a cool guy and sent several entire companies to help them out because uh, they had like no one left. <laughs> Good old Genesis chapter stepping up. I, I, imagine, I imagine that helped the losses. The Ultramarines like right. Just going, oh boy, I can't wait to be an Ultramarine. It's finally time. Oh, and then you see all the oh, dead. And you're like, oh, it kind of feels bittersweet. Unless like Terminator armor either, because it's all been broken. Oh, that sucks. Elgar <laughs> went to the chapter master of the Genesis chapter. Was like, how many companies do you have? I need them. <laughs> and they bullied the other successors into taking their Terminator. I'm like, you don't need this. We're more important. We're going to repaint the it. The Ultramarines. <laughs> uh, on Kalth, the planet was somewhat resettled. Uh, the Tyranids evidently hadn't quite eaten it. Uh, but not without issue, because that Carnifex wasn't dead, baby. Oh, baby. He, uh He was freed by salvagers from a block of ice, hope not assume, you know, who assumed he was dead and were thinking, this will fetch a high price on some shady market or whatever. Uh, then his regeneration kicked in. Uh, it wasn't enough to heal his face, but it wasn't enough to heal everything else. And for years from that day, uh, Old One-Eye would just periodically ransack cities on Kalth. <laughs> He's like the uh, Sly Marbo of yeah. And every, every <laughs> now and then, they'd declare him as dead, and then he would come back. Then oh, he goes, man. Baba Yaga. And then he just runs yeah. around killing people. He's like, oh no, he's back. <laughs> he's got his own cult. He does. So a mm. cult that worships his body. Which would indicate he's presently dead, but you can also use him on tabletop. So probably not. Probably just take him Nah, he's out. fine. If I remember correctly, doesn't he get... He actually is resurrected by the some of the high fleets, but as a unique 
one where it's missing an eye. That's a theory. Theory, or oh, it's like a, it's like well, a. The cult, the cult just worships old one eye in general. I don't know if they that's, worship that's his corpse. Thing. Yeah. I, yeah. I read like they have what his body or one of his oh, eyes okay. with however it works. He also could, right like, he also could just be hibernating there, and every now and then he wakes up, and their god just walks mm. off. <laughs> He's still stuck on Calf. Uh, he is on Calf. But he oh, pops up so another like, I hate this planet, and he keeps waking up. And go, they keep trying to wake me up. <laughs> he also does show sleep. up other places sometimes. He just yeah. does. Uh, and, uh, just a troll. Just to be a goober. Uh, and although the high fleet was broken, it was not completely defeated that day. Uh, it was split into numerous smaller splinter fleets, which, although much smaller and not with the same level of guidance from the hive mind, proved to be a major pain in the ass for the galaxy for centuries to come. Uh, there was one battle where they were fighting against the Adeptus Mechanicus, and the Skatari commander in charge actually figured out a great way to deal with them. The, uh, the like, some, uh, pro like, off-product gas from Promethium refineries, that he saturated the atmosphere with it, and then lit it on fire, which, you know, obviously a bit of a radical move. But it did stop, like... A bulk of the Tyrants from reaching grand landfall and horribly weakened them. Which you would think this is a great strategy to keep going forward. Because, uh, you know, if the Tyrants are on a planet, it's better to damage it than just let the Tyrants have it. Except uh, he returned to a Forge World, the information was given to the Forge World databanks, and then they forgot about it. Classic. 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 <laughs> this is a certified Imperium of Man moment. Well, it's probably probably hard to pull that off on planets that aren't only oh, mechanicus planets. Like yeah, people actually like, have to have an atmosphere. <laughs> it's definitely situational, but like just the information itself was just like it's still there too. It's not lost. They just forgot it's there. Yeah. And knowing the mechanicum, they probably killed a bunch of like civilians in the process. Oh yeah, they were, like, true. Acceptable, acceptable losses. Flesh is weak, bro. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, another splinter fleet uh, went. Uh, Fed Onan, this one actually ended up happening two centuries later. It became High Fleet Gorgon. Uh, and they would uh, go be a pain to the Tau Empire uh, for some time. <laughs> until uh, un until they weren't. The Tau kind of just pretty handily defeated them. Uh, Is that the one that Farsight fought? I believe it was. Or is that a different no, one? No, I think that's a different one. Was, uh, oh, it's Kraken. Yeah. I think. What happened with the that Gorgon was that uh, the Tau and Tyranids got into an adaptation fight where they kept countering each other's <laughs> tactics so fast that on the fly they would be doing something different every like five minutes and <laughs> and the Tau won. Good for the Tau. When the, uh, when the Tyranids mm. invaded on Macrag at the North Pole, did the I'm guessing the Tyranids when they produced the bioforms, they obviously adapted them to the cold and then the water Yeah, they, they, would, they would have done that it's just that the uh, adaptation of the Tyranids isn't uh, as with much of them at this point, isn't fully uh, like understood. Ooh, one thing that I, oh, go sorry. Uh, one thing I liked about the Battle of McCraig, uh things were going really well to one of their orbital defense cannons stopped working because the hive mind commanded like thousands of gargoyles to just uh, throw themselves and clog the cannon with their bodies. <laughs> Not bad. Yeah. And there was like swarms of bugs climbing up the titans and Pushing them over and stuff, they took killing out the, people. They took out the orbital Mac platforms. Yeah, um, rip. Breach has fallen. 
I'm just, whenever you say about they did this to adapt, I'm just thinking of Bear Girls. It's like, adapt, improve, overcome. overcome. Just, <laughs> and just like a tyrannist going, I'm going to have to drink my own piss to survive. You're like, you know you don't. <laughs> no. Just doing that for television. Stop it. Just eat Stop it. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> and then, uh, um, oh, what's up? Oh, I said, their, um, their adaptation, though, they only, I believe they only do it a little bit because obviously in terms of biomass cost, it obviously factors in more just to basically specialize the tyranny. So that, even the way the Tyranids are designed, they're designed to be the most efficient killing warriors, like their forms. Because they could technically make a, like a perfect being, but it wouldn't be efficient in terms of biomass. Like They could make everything the Swarm Lord, but efficiency uh, dictates that's not good. That's why, it's why the Imperium doesn't just only have Knights and Titans. It's like, you, you need smaller stuff. Mm. Uh, and the last uh, of the Splinter Fleets... Uh, was a what much more devastating one than the rest. Uh, I accidentally called it a splinter fleet of, fleet of Leviathan in the dock. That's not right. Uh, it adapted from its losses on Ultramar, and uh, no longer was it uh, sending out like massive swarms of lesser Tyranids. Instead, it focused on producing a greater number of larger bioforms. And this is important because they were not fighting back against the Ultramarines, They'd moved on to the planet of Racker Nine, where uh, I, which I, yeah, that's that's the Roman numeral for nine, right? I wrote that down and then forgot. There, <laughs> <laughs> it's I, it's I X. That's nine. Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, it, uh, they were fighting, and on that planet was the Night House of House Raven. Imperial Knights are getting in on this too. Good for them. Ooh. Uh, problem was, these Tyranids were fiercely intelligent. Uh, they were the bigger ones, so they were much more capable of going toe-to-toe with the knights. And as we were saying before, the Tyranids aren't complete beasts. When the hive mind's guiding them, they're fiercely intelligent. And, uh, they goaded and played on the knights' honor to isolate them into one-on-one battles from their comrades. <laughs> and then swarm them with Tyranids. Yeah, and then the knights go, they're not fighting one-on-one, that's not very sporting, pip-pip, and then they get their pipe in their mouth and... Do a charge. Do a do a do a, do a, do a, like, put, put a trench in. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> Could be more Bretonian on the accent. <laughs> and uh, having uh, with this Rakor Nine fell, and the knights believe they witnessed uh, like a dark mirror of their own feudal traditions, which I think they're just gaslighting themselves into thinking that. But whatever. Uh, they think they witnessed <laughs> the Tyranids being somewhat feudal, and uh, in. Uh, in response to that, they named this splinter fleet the Court of the Nephilim King, which is a very cool name. It's cool. That goes Holy hard. It does. And, uh, yeah. Starting to say one right thing now. about night houses, they know how to name stuff. That is <laughs> very true. And uh, they vowed a vengeance against the Tyranid threat. Uh, and with that, the first Tyrannic War is over. Uh, although the Imperium, you know, they were aware of the remaining splinter fleets, you know, and they were, you know, going to fight them as they needed to. They kind of they kind of relaxed. They figured like, all right, that was the Tyranids. That was you know, there's the army. Oh, it's over, right? There's, there's yeah. the threat. Uh, they figured like going forward that all of like the Tyranids they would end up encountering on the eastern uh, like portion of the galaxy. They're you know they're splinter fleets of Leviathan uh, or I kept saying Leviathan, uh, Bayamoth after it uh, withdrew from a crag to find more food. They figured like, all right. It's Bayamoth again. It's more more of these guys. We'll clean them up. And, you know, initially that was probably true. Like, you know, the first couple of years after McCrog, it's like, yeah, that, that's probably Bayamoth. 
Uh, but it wasn't until 999 M41 that the Imperium realized, uh, oh, oh, Behemoth, Behemoth isn't all of them. It's not even most of them. Uh-oh. And uh, one final note. I know you were asking earlier, Hal, if uh, we were to do uh, any bit of a lead-off into the rest of the Tyranid threat. Uh, a little bit of a hint on what Crippman gets up to. Uh, I won't say exactly what, in, uh, in case uh, we'll leave that for a later episode, either on the Tyranids as a whole or the other Tyrannic Wars. Uh, but he uh, he did some stuff that, even to the Inquisitions, like that was beyond what the limits of acceptability. Uh, so pretty pretty atrocious stuff Crippman did. Uh, although, in saying that, uh, they called him many things, uh, namely a radical, a traitor, and a fool. Uh, but does anyone want to take a guess what they didn't call him? Wrong. Inefficient. <laughs> uh, Hal had it. Nice. So, uh, That's epic. The Tyranids have just begun with the first Tyrannic War. and uh, But for now, that will be it. Does anyone have any questions on the on the bug fight? I think I will say that we there are, I think, current, what's currently going on in lore, there's, there's the fourth Tyrannic War. So there is a little... We will possibly cover some of the other ones. Although I don't believe the other ones are quite to the same level as detail as the the uh, first Tyrannic War, maybe? The third, you could... The third might be. I'm not sh as sure about the second, but the third might be, because the third has, like, you know, the, the defensive ball, and uh, it's when you learn that the Tyrannic oh, yeah. are just coming from the east. Well, uh, that will that will be the devastation of ball. I think we'll save that one for a... That's a, that's almost an episode in its entirety because it's such an amazing um, sort of version of a, a tyrannic fight. And there's also some demon shenanigans, but we'll we'll say that <laughs> another time though. Yeah, I would say that it's the event that cements the Blood Angels of like right. Tyranids are our nemesis, basically. Every mm. every media you see the Blood Angels involved in, it's pretty True. much oh them versus the Tyranids. Yeah, and uh, if uh, some final closing words. Uh... Frankly, I find the idea of a bug that thinks offensive, and uh, <laughs> I'm from Buenos Aires, and I say kill them all. <laughs> nice. nice. You can't, I you think can, you can't okay, talk sorry? about the Tyranids and not bring up Starship Troopers at least <laughs> And then Marnius Calgar kicked them out of the first war, and he went, it's afraid of us! It's afraid of us! And then the Tyranids went, no, propaganda went off, right? We're just going to eat you from a different direction, it's fine. I think um, if you are particularly more like the newer side of um, Warhammer lore. Uh, the first Tyrannic War, in terms of like, the general like, overarching like, lore story of it, is actually quite a... I do find it like, quite an enjoyable one, because it's a proper, like... Obviously, you kind of... It's mostly, obviously, ultramarine kind of fan service at some point, but it does show the overarching kind of greasiness of just general war in how... The sort of the 40 millennium um behaves and how it just really is on the ground level because it just shows you the absolute planet level destruction that just even a small set i mean it's one thing is like alpha nick be a bad trope where it's like ha i was using, only using a fraction of my power and then someone's like my you know <laughs> um thinking of eldari slash yanari books here slash mm -hmm. <clears throat> bad bad mm -hmm. use of that and then the thousand aspect warriors get licked to death <laughs> more about that another time hopefully um no, but never no there is no um, trilogy but no. the, the tyranny stuff is just so as much as they are like the kind of like that face of swarm um villain in a way they do it quite well to the point of 
um, it, it, it delves more into like, the horror of 40k because it is it's, it's hard to kind of get across how genuinely like well they write it in the book but how horrifying just a tyrannid invasion is because it's it's not just like oh you know we're playing a tower defense game and then we're going to shoot into the numbers horde it is literally air ground and you know literally under the earth too like literally things great worms and creatures and even little time was like you know bite your ankle yeah there, there's a great episode of hammer and bolter where it's the cadians fighting tyranids and it's just the poor guardsmen and there's there's big ones there's little ones it's ones that just drop on them and explode and cover them in corrosive acid yeah there's one bit where a guy's being eaten by like 10 of the little ones and the guards just like and i carry measures like no we've got to leave them we need to leave them but i feel like the first tyrannic war could be summed up by the uh the band Buckman Turner Overdrive just saying, "You ain't seen nothing yet, but but baby, you ain't seen nothing <laughs> yet." And that's basically the first Tyrannic War of them going like, "Yeah, we ain't even started." <laughs> uh, they I think they it, haven't it, even it, broken. Up. Oh, what's up? No, you guys are. I'll, I'll finish. And, uh, they didn't even break out all of the stops because uh, nope. in the future wars, the Gene Stealers are going to be a threat too. Yeah, baby. Uh, yeah. Now you can't even trust your neighbor. Mm. <laughs> Are Tyrannic uh, War veterans still in the tabletop? I don't think so. I think those were sad. When they the cut first, out the first one. Yeah. yeah. Sad. Holy. And... I will never forgive GW for this. Well, there might be fourth, <laughs> fourth Tyrannic War veterans. There's some. There's a lieutenant with them. Um, yeah, I guess. I feel like first Tyrannic War veterans were all gone by this point. It's like, right, we, we were veteran of one. Now you're pushing your luck. I've been ready. Despite the second war. The fourth, really? <laughs> the, um, when was the date for the first Tronic War? Is it seven hundreds, eight hundreds? M forty, M forty, yeah. Do you know the uh, specific date of when the first Tronic War? Seven forty five, M forty one. Because it is, it does a law stuff. That's actually that's quite a like a, like a yesterday. Lot of, well, a lot of um, in Warhammer history, it's kind of a lot of things happen in M nine 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 nine. You know, like M nine nine. So. A lot of things like, shit hits the fan date. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And in general, like Warhammer history, because of how the Imperium works, history is often forgotten and misremembered or written down in mm -hmm. like some administrative thing written by a man who's on a world in literally a planet that writes notes. So you can never find it. So <laughs> it is crazy how, in a way, this is almost ancient news in terms of like, uh, I, again, like you're probably right, like not many of the current Ultramarines are basically ones who would live through the tyrannic war because again obviously space marines do die a lot especially because um, most of them get eaten <laughs> yeah most and, of them and get... i reckon a lot of the imperium doesn't even know what a tyrannid is because it's like well they're not going to survive a tyrannid invasion more than likely and it's only a couple of hundred years old i mean dante's four times older than the first invasion he's like get off my lawn <laughs> you new kids on the block <laughs> ruining my day since the beginning and Reverend <laughs> Bjorn is like, ah, oh, I've been around ages. What's these bugs? Let's squish them. Yay. In reference, it would be like someone in our history going like, oh, you know, the um, American War of Independence uh, mm -hmm. and then or the Declaration of Independence. And then you kind of go, yeah, that thing. The, you know, like, <laughs> and then you, that's yeah. obviously so many, in a way, so many, quite a few generations back. So the modern people of the Imperial are like, oh, tyranny. They'll be literally, the war will be carved in marble and stone at this point. That's how old it True. would be yeah. to the Imperials. Um, speaking of, uh, I'm glad the Ultramarines were such a snack uh, because that was a delicious <laughs> amount of lore. <laughs> we got there. <laughs> we got there. Uh, is there anyone have any like, closing, other closing comments other than that one? <laughs> I like I the Ultramarines. The, yeah, I miss the first Tyrannic War veterans. They will live in our hearts forever.
R.I.P. Yep. Uh, with that being said, though, with that being said, though, we hope you guys all um, enjoyed. Obviously, there was quite a little bit of a more of a short episode this time because we probably overloaded a bit too much recently. Um, but obviously, we we do like to cover the tyrannies, particularly this time with the release of their codex. So, you know, there'll be loads of gorgeous models coming out recently. Uh, I hope Eli has not bought them all. <laughs> uh, I'll refrain. I, I'm buying Star Wars Legion right now. Nord Assimilator, my beloved. <laughs> with uh, with oh, that being man. said, though, we um, uh, we hope you guys all enjoyed. Obviously, uh, if you would like, uh, we obviously had the question of the week at the beginning. Obviously, we're happy to have some really funny answers. We appreciate it. Or any comments just in general about the topic. And also other ones that you would like us to cover. Um, if there's more Tyranid ones, like definitely like obviously make your voice be heard because we obviously look out for what you guys want to see and or any other topics in general and uh i think next uh next time uh a little bit of us i'm not going to say who it is but we will possibly have a guest on for our, our next episode andy do you mm. want to explain what the topic is possibly well i, I know um marnius calgar in some circles has been noted to have said uh you're insisting on a fistin and although it's not Marnius Kalgar, we will be covering another fist-influenced faction, which will be the Crimson Fists. Yay! Yeah, everyone's favourite. A slight relation to uh, Dantioc, the comment earlier about mm. the uh, sofa device blowing up, because we'll be following someone else who was also involved in that. Uh, no spoilers Ooh, yeah. yet, though. Um, the Crimson Fists have been, I think, one of the earliest... Uh, Chapters in the entire yeah, second, space second space founding, maybe. and they they were the first ones on the cover, weren't they? With the the codexes, yes. yeah. See so the um, it'll be some uh, so again some callback to people who've probably been around since that launch itself, and they probably even remember it. So hope you guys enjoy that one. Obviously, they're very good at posing at last stands. <laughs> yes, they're they're always ready to stand the last in time. Uh, and we may even have someone special there. Yes, mm, can't I wait to show you. I won't be there. We don't, don't want it, can't, no spoilers oh. yet, unfortunately. Um, but we will we will let you all know very soon. And uh, with that being said, hope you guys all enjoyed, and we'll catch you on the next one. Peace. Hi, very well, care. love you. Glory to the star children. They will not eat you. They will, <sighs> will give you hugs and kisses. Yes, holy I say union. Kill them all. Kill them it's all. It's just holy union. It's not eating. It's holy union. For okay? what is it? I say kill them all. Yeah. <laughs>